0: Welcome to the Altruistic Libertarian, Advocate for a Genuinely Free Society. I'm Anthony Wheeler and today we continue our sequence on the proper role of government. Taxes. Resources are required by the government in order to fulfill fundamental obligations. The primary source of of such resources is taxation. While the power to tax can be abused, as is done routinely in today's world, proper taxation is necessary if the government is to protect its citizens from criminals, foreign adversaries, and industrial externalities. In, the, in an ideal world, quote, the government technical apparatus would be so small that its maintenance would absorb only a modest fraction of the total sum of individual citizens' incomes. Then taxes are an appropriate vehicle for providing the funds needed by the government. They are appropriate because they are low and do not perceptibly disarrange production and consumption. Unquote. When taxation becomes excessive, as it has in most countries today, the consumption of capital by social security, all transfer payments, the waste and inefficiency of government operations (USPS, public schools, and countless bureaucracies), and the unnecessary restrictions placed upon society drug laws, for instance, results in a lower standard of living from what it would otherwise be. Quote, the power to tax involves, as as Chief Justice Marshall pertinently observed, the power to destroy. Unquote. Limits of Democracy Most people assume that democracy is the best if not the only appropriate form of government. The United States has made it one of the cornerstones of their international policy as they proselytize it around the world. Americans somehow equate voting to liberty, when in fact democracy has effectively eroded genuine freedom for decades and will likely continue to do so. Ancient philosophers already identified its weakness, and I quote, For tyranny is a kind of monarchy which has in view the interests of the monarch only. Oligarchy has in view the interests of the wealthy. Democracy of the needy. None of them the common good." Unquote. Even though democracy is one of the ideological linchpins of Western political philosophy, the commitment to resolve the highest political decisions through mass voting is deeply flawed, and I quote, We have no intention, however, of making a fetish of democracy. It may well be true that our generation talks and thinks too much of democracy and too little of the values which it serves. It cannot be said of democracy, as Lord Acton truly said of liberty, that it, quote, is not a means to a higher political end. It is itself the highest political end. It is not for the sake of a good public administration that it is required, but for the security and the pursuit of the highest objects of civil society and of private life." Democracy is essentially a means, a utilitarian device for safeguarding internal peace and individual freedom. As such, it is by no means infallible or certain. Nor must we forget that there has often been much more cultural and spiritual freedom under an autocratic rule than under some democracies, and it is at least conceivable that under the government of a very homogenous and doctrinaire majority, democratic government might be as oppressive as the worst dictatorship." Hayek rightly indicates the primary purpose of any political system, that is safeguarding internal peace and individual freedom. When a political system fails to do so, it's worth questioning its principles. Even Milton Friedman, an economist known for his dedication to free market principles, admits the limitations of democracy when he writes, quote, I see no solution to this problem except to rely on the self-restraint and goodwill of the le- electorate, unquote. These words are particularly frightening just two months after Donald Trump gets elected for the presidency. The fact alone should make people pause in their commitment to democratic principles. Yet the flaws in democracy extend well beyond electing an incompetent president. The voting mob is perfectly capable of making terrible decisions, ones that injure us all. And I quote, Democracy guarantees a system of government in accordance with the wishes and plans of the majority. But it cannot prevent majorities from falling victim to erroneous ideas and from adopting inappropriate policies which not only fail to realize the ends aimed at but result in disaster. Majorities too may err and destroy our civilization. Unquote. Aristotle provides such a scenario when he writes, quote, If the poor, for example, because they are more in number, divide among themselves the property of the rich, is not this unjust? No, by heaven, will be the reply, for the supreme authority justly willed it. But if this is not injustice, pray, what is, Unquote. In principle, democracy is unable to resolve genuine differences between groups and individuals without using force. Typical collectivist ideology justifies sacrificing one group in the name of majority rule. Quote, if taken seriously, the rights of man would make it impossible to reach a decision whenever two people's interests conflict. The difficulties are particularly obvious in political philosophy, which requires some principle, such as preference for the majority, by which the interests of some can, when necessary, be sacrificed to those of others. If there is to be any ethic of government, the end of government must be one, and the only single end compatible with justice is the good of the community." Reference to some form of collective is common in political philosophy, whether it is a community or the Reich or some mythical majority where somebody must be sacrificed. Yet Bertrand Russell is mistaken in asserting that the will of the majority is the only recourse to disagreement between individuals or groups. Conflicts within genuinely free society can be resolved without sacrificing anyone as majorities have no authority over an individual's private life. Socialists, even ones as democratically minded as Orwell, have larger issues. And I quote, The central problem, how to prevent power from being abused, remains unsolved. Unquote. The irony of so many left-leaning liberals becomes manifest when examining the political means for enacting their program. Every act of intervention increases elements of political power that didn't previously exist, exacerbating the problem that Orwell identifies. Socialist-Communist ideologies deliberately accumulate immense economic and political power within the state, with no protection against abuse. Anyone who expects human leaders to wield the reins of such power without taking personal advantage or serving interests other than the community they oversee doesn't understand human nature. In such cases it would take the restraint of monks and the wisdom of angels to rule with justice. Even then determining what should really take place in the society or be prevented would be impossible to effectively determine as it is impossible to know at any given time and place what is optimal for everyone other than by those immediately affected. Oral central problem of curbing the abuse of power doesn't occur within a generally free society because such centers of power generally don't exist. Quote, To believe that the power which is thus conferred on the state is merely transferred to it from others is erroneous. It is a power which is newly created and which in a competitive society nobody possesses. So long as property is divided among many owners, none of them acting independently, has exclusive power to determine the income and position of particular people, Nobody is tied to any one property owner except by the fact that he may offer better terms than anybody else." Democracy is also flawed in serious ways, especially when when a tyrannical majority rules over a weaker minority. This took place in ancient Athens, the birth of democracy in the form of slaves. In fact, the ancient democracy of Greece and Rome existed for citizens only. Slaves, women, and poor did not participate. And it wasn't until 1920 that women could even vote in this country. As a specific example, in 399 BCE, a democratic, a democratic court voted 280 to 220 to, to condemn Socrates to death. A democratic vote condemned to death one of the wisest men in western history for impiety and corrupting the young. George Steiner provides the relevant question when he writes, and I quote, The examined life demanded by Socrates requires that each and every one of us serve on that Athenian jury. How would we have voted? Goethe's dictum, rather injustice than disorder, puts the prosecution case concisely. It argues, as does Hegel in respect to Creon's conflict with Antigone, that the preservation of social legislative order makes possible the reparation of miscarriages of justice. Disorder, the dispersal of civic solidarity through anarchic individuality and the inner light, destroys not only daily life, but the eventuality of progress, of amelioration in the understanding and performance of justice. Is the price Paid for autonomous feats of conscience too high." Autonomous individuals do not threaten a truly free society. Autonomous individuals only threaten states that require threatening. States that have lost their mandate to govern due to their restrictive nature, one that unreasonably limits how people live, think, or behave. On the other hand, the possibility of a genuinely free society threatens the people who rule unjustly, including state bureaucracies, the undeservedly privileged, and the ruling class protected by its self-made and self-serving laws and regulations. Both order and justice can be achieved within a generally free society. On the one hand, social engineers lacking the ability to coerce would have limited influence, and on the other, anarchists would be equally prevented from dismantling legitimate forms of government. Order would be maintained without having to curb an individual's inner light. John Rawls disagrees, and insists that despite the inherent weaknesses of democracy, majority rule should be heeded, and I quote, Yet majorities, or coalitions of minorities, are bound to make mistakes if not from a lack of knowledge and judgment then as a result of partial and self-interested views. Nevertheless, our natural duty is to uphold just institution binds us to comply with unjust laws and policies, or at least not to oppose them by illegal means as long as they do not exceed certain limits of injustice. Being required to support a just constitution, we must go along with one of its essential principles, that of majority rule," Unquote. It is unreasonable to expect people to quietly acquiesce to unjust laws and policies and then expect them never to oppose the law in some illegal fashion. Asking the individual to bend to the authority of a numinous majority is indistinguishable from serving a tyrant. Does our natural duty, think of Kant, go so far as to require us to uphold the institution of slavery? This is what Schopenhauer had to say about the book Slavery and the Internal Slave Trade in the United States of North America, and I quote, This book constitutes one of the heaviest of all indictments against mankind. No one can read it without horror and few will not be reduced to tears. For whatever the reader of it may have heard or imagined or dreamed of the unhappy condition of the slaves, indeed of human harshness and cruelty in general, will fade into insignificance when he reads how these devils in human form, these bigoted, church-going, Sabbath-keeping scoundrels, especially the Anglican Parsons among them, treat their innocent black brothers whom force and injustice have delivered into their devilish clutches. Unquote. While many were appalled at the at practice, as Schopenhauer indicates, countless others supported the evil institution and fought to preserve it, all within a democratic state. The classic American critique of dem- democracy can be found in Henry David Thoreau's essay, Civil Disobedience, and I quote, All vo- voting is a sort of gaming, a playing with right and wrong. Its obligation never exceeds that of expediency. Even voting for the right thing is doing nothing for it. A wise man will not leave the right to the mercy of chance, nor wish it to prevail through the power of the majority. Unquote. He goes on to assert, quote, Moreover, any man more right than his neighbors constitutes a majority of one already. Unquote. He then challenges both Rawls and Kant's charge to fulfill his duty and adhere to the state's commands. Quote, Unjust laws exist, shall we be content to obey them or shall we endeavor to amend them and obey them until we have succeeded or shall we transgress them at once?" Unquote. As mentioned earlier, such sentiments are rare today. In contrast to the democratic ideals that dominate Western political thought within a genuinely free society, the principal respect for the individual would prevail. The Founding Fathers made an attempt to protect individual freedom with the Bill of Rights by creating a list of specific articles designed to protect individuals from the state and from majorities. Unfortunately, the effort turned out to be insufficient and ultimately ineffective. Well, that concludes our show for today. Next time we continue our examination of the proper rule of government. Until then, peace.